Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! As you know, you can follow him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor or catch the work he does at the Packers Trilogy Podcast. So it's been about a week since I have gone through a MVP and a dud here, so I figured I'd jump on and do that here tonight. And as well, I'd like to touch on an article that I wrote earlier this week about the Brewers legitly having two Cy Young candidates. So we'll jump on that here at the second half of the podcast. But first, we're going to recap some action that is going on in the Cactus League. The Brewers are 6-3. and three. Take that for whatever it's worth, the third best record in the Cactus League through, throughout the first nine games here. But their offense has really come to life here. Sure, Mother Nature has helped them out quite a bit here, especially thinking Tuesday with some gusty winds and the sun being very bright. And, you know, you often see a lot of players miss routine fly balls due to these conditions in spring training because usually they're not something you have to take into consideration as much once the regular season gets going on and you're playing at night but definitely factor when you're playing during the middle of the day down in Arizona but regardless throughout the last two games here the Brewers have scored 23 runs recorded 31 hits and then hit three home runs. And their offense has been, for the most part, really good throughout these first nine games. I'm not going to take any credit for this, but my fellow writer, Matt Carroll, at reviewing the Brew did some digging around at where the Brewers are stat-wise throughout the Cactus League at this point, and they're sitting pretty good. They have scored the most runs of any MLB team at 60 They have the highest team OPS at 933, highest slugging percentage at 547, second highest batting average at 291, and the third highest on base percentage at 387. So yes, it's spring training, but certainly that gives you some hope that this can carry over into the regular season because we all know how dreadful the offense was in 2020. We'd like to see some of these players build some momentum here in spring and keep it going once the regular season gets along. So let's move into some offensive MVPs. 
I think the biggest one for me that stands out and really is an X factor as you look towards the remainder of the season is Omar Narvaez. He hitting at a 455 clip so far. He has recorded five hits and three of them have gone for extra bases. So that's two doubles, one home run. With that, he has also drawn three walks. So throughout his very brief 11 plate appearances, or at-bats, excuse me, that's a 1.41 OPS. But you can tell that he's getting a lot more comfortable or is a lot more comfortable than he was last year because he mentioned in one of the first interviews that he did of spring training this year that last year he felt rushed. And, you know, I don't want to say panicked, but he got frustrated and, you know, in a shortened season, that's easily understandable. You want to get results as quickly as possible. And when it doesn't happen, you start pressing, rushing through your at-bats, as he mentioned. And this year, you see a completely different approach, I think, out of Omar Narvaez. And throughout the small sample size, I think what type of hitter, this patient of hitter, what we're seeing is what we should learn to expect here out of Omar Narvaez going forward into the regular season. So, For me, he has been, I'm going to call it the biggest MVP, because for those of you who follow me during the regular season, you know I like to give out those awards on a series basis. But Avisil Garcia is right behind him. In his 14 at-bats, he's collected seven hits. Three of them have gone for extra bases, so two home runs and one double. And he's reporting in the best shape of his life. So obviously that's really exciting when you think to Avi's disappointing and kind of chronic injury-riddled 2020 season. You would like to see him do very well. Otherwise, the last guy I will mention here is Orlando Arcia. From an offensive standpoint, he's winning the job over Urias. Yes, sure, Urias has been hampered by this hamstring injury now and hasn't been in action, but when Urias was out there, he wasn't standing out offensively, but at least Orlando Arcia is doing that. He's collected six hits through spring so far, three of them for doubles, and that's good enough for a 375 batting average. So yes, he has looked rather rocky at the third base position, I saw a comp on Twitter today saying someone it reminded him of when we tried to switch to Jonathan VR at third base, and it just wasn't natural. You're playing different angles, different hops. Obviously, it's a lot longer throwing distance. All that, I think, is taking Orlando. I see a lot more adjustment time than I thought it would take for him to get used to there. Of course, it may end up not ultimately mattering if he just straight outright wins the shortstop job over Urias, which I currently think to date he is doing. But it is worth noting if Urias gets an extended look at shortstop at any point in the regular season and they keep they want to keep playing Orlando Arcia, like how comfortable would you feel with him at third base? So obviously he even he would likely keep taking reps there throughout the remainder of the season if if him playing third base does end up being part of the plan going forward. But right now, I think offensively, you have to like what you're seeing in Arcia. And he's out playing Urias when Urias was out there. And I do think that is worth mentioning. Next, I'm going to go over a dud. And really, I just want to focus on a pitching dud because... Eric Lauer was on the mound today, and I tweeted out on the podcast Twitter account that it's a big day for Lauer. You know, he's struggled so far throughout camp, 
and really needs a good performance. And then he goes and gives up three earned runs today. So the box score is actually really deceiving with Eric Lauer. So it says he went two innings of worked, but due to weird spring training rules, he ended up retiring just two batters. He, fa- or he faced nine batters, walked five of them. So that is just a terrible look for Eric Lauer. That brings him up to eight earned runs throughout spring training so far. And by box score numbers, I think he's up to now five innings pitched and eight earned runs, which is obviously not super accurate based off what I just told you. So he has definitely been the biggest dud so far. I thought maybe 2020 was a fluke because... He was decent with the Padres, you know, constantly hanging around that low fours ERA. And that was back when the Padres didn't necessarily have anyone else great in their starting rotation, which is obviously a lot different now. But this trade is certainly looking like a big miss from a starting pitching standpoint, especially when you go out there and and see like how well Zach Davies doing for the Cubs, which I know just just pains me to say because he Zach Davies was initially involved in that trade that sent Lauer to Milwaukee. Davies ended up going to San Diego after the season ended up signing with the Cubs here this year for 2021. So Eric Lauer not impressing. He is certainly putting his roster status in jeopardy here. That is the point it has gotten to and one more bad start and it's not looking good for him. Uh, it already isn't. So not quite sure what the plan is going to be there for Eric Lauer. In the baseball world, most of the times pitchers who are struggling end up with a, a magical injury out of the blue all of a sudden. So who knows? <laughs> we'll see what happens with Eric Lauer. As I mentioned earlier, the second half of this podcast, I want to focus on an article that I wrote for reviewing the brew. It's titled, Do the Brewers Have Two Legit Cy Young Candidates? So Starting pitching got me, I got real excited about starting pitching on my last podcast when Trevor and I were getting all hyped up, hyped up about Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. So then I decided to do some digging around and take a look at some Cy Young Award winners here. Throughout the Brewers history, it has only been awarded in our franchise twice. So that was Raleigh Fingers in 1981 and then Pete Vukovic in 1982. We, you know, weirdly enough, the last time the Brewers had a Cy Young Award winner, they went to the World Series. So first off, that's like, you know, A number one. Hey, let's get a Cy Young Award winner this year. But I would like to just kind of take a step back and look at, hey, how valid is it for me to say that Woodruff and Burns are legit Cy Young candidates? So let's take a little look back here at Cy Young history. In particular, from the National League side, Trevor Bauer won it last year. He was the ERA champion. He struck out batters at a 12.3K per nine clip. Obviously, having the lowest ERA and striking out batters is going to catch a lot of players' eyes, and that's why he was, or one big reason why he was a Cy Young Award winner. The seasons before that, Jacob deGrom won it back-to-back years. And then similarly, Max Scherzer, the two seasons prior to that, won it in 2016 and 2017. So some trends that kind of stick out in these award winners is that when they won their Cy Young Awards, they were leading the major leagues in particular to a few specific categories, and those were ERA, 
strikeouts, inning pitched, or complete games slash shutouts. So let's take a look at Corbin Burns here. He finished sixth overall in the Cy Young votes last year. He really earned that because he had an incredibly low ERA. It was 2.11. He was one out shy of being in contention for the ERA title, which had he not got injured, he certainly would have got that 60th out of the year. Unfortunately, ended up at 59.2, but it really wouldn't have mattered because he allowed a few runs early on in that game and ultimately would have been beat out by Trevor Bauer anyway. But from an ERA standpoint, he did rank behind Bauer, as I mentioned, Yu Darvish, and then Danielson Lamette. So ERA-wise, Burns finished fourth last year. He punched out 88 batters. That was ninth best in the National League. So really the evolution of his sinker-cutter combination was what propelled him forward in 2020. And then, of course, he was equally as effective with the slider, curveball, and changeup, recording a lot of strikeouts off those pitches as well. But he really used the sinker cutter to get ahead in the count, um, constantly working ahead of hitters that way. And then after that, once you're behind, you don't know what's coming from Burns. So combine that with the crazy movement on a very high-velocity cutter that he has, Yeah, you can see the potential there for Corbin Burns to win Cy Young votes here again. Really what it's going to come down to is can Corbin Burns do this consistently throughout a 162-game season? I thought last year there was times where when things weren't going his way, you could sense the frustration or sense of urgency in his composure on the mound. Like He hated giving up base runners. Anytime there was a base runner on first, he was throwing over there at least like six times to try and catch him napping and get him off the base paths. And it wasn't just like a lob over there. He was chucking it hardcore. So uh, good luck, Keston, picking those from Corbin Burns this year. But when you take in the fact that he can rack up some gaudy strikeout numbers and has the potential to stay in a really low ERA, He should receive some votes again if he pitches to his full potential. I do think had he been a starter all season long, because he kind of had to work or earn his way into that starting rotation spot in 2020, he probably would have recorded more strikeouts because, as I'm going to get to in a little bit, Brandon Woodruff actually recorded more strikeouts than Corbin Burns in 2020. But from an innings pitch standpoint and game started standpoint, that actually makes sense. So let's switch over to Brandon Woodruff here. He has never received any Cy Young Award votes. So what would make you think that this year would be the year? Well, since being, we're going to call it, initiated into the starting rotation full-time, which was the 2019 season, he consistently got his first shot at it. He has continued to improve, in particular from the ERA standpoint, every season. Last year, he made 13 starts, had 73 innings pitched. His ERA in 2019 was 3.62, and he lowered it to 3.05 in 2020. He recorded 91 strikeouts. That was seventh best in the National League. The vast majority of his strikeouts were on his go-to pitch, which was the fastball, but obviously he has that sinker, slider, and changeup, which he can use as well. But most of the time, he relied on that high-velocity fastball to punch batters out. 
The problems with Brandon Woodruff in 2020 came the second and third times through the batting order. That's oftentimes when he gave up a crooked number, ran his pitch count up a little bit too higher, things like that. So the adjustments that he's going to have to make this year is obviously being able to work deeper into games. I mentioned that the former Cy Young Award winners, that they had led the league in innings pitched, in particular thinking to like Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom. They both had instances where they did that. And Brandon Woodruff has this notion of being the workhorse for the Brewers. So if he can keep a lower ERA, we're going to call it under three, if he can be near the top of the league in innings pitched, hell, maybe even throw a complete game in there, he might earn some Cy Young Award votes. So I think ultimately the ceiling is higher for Corbin Burns. I think if I had to be a betting man, I'd say Corbin Burns is more likely to win the award or win in a higher position voting-wise than Cy Young candidacy than Brandon Woodruff. But you never know. So that's obviously why we play the game. Brandon Woodruff has been a little bit more consistent from a year-to-year basis, obviously, than Corbin Burns. But as I mentioned, I think the ceiling for Burns is higher at this point. So that is kind of where I'm sitting in that regard. I hope that both of these pitchers perform to the expectations that we are expecting of them because that's going to make for a very, very fun season, especially when you combine that with a very dominant bullpen that the Brewers seem to dish out year in and year out. I mean, we've had the Trevor Hoffman NL reliever of the year for the past three seasons in a row, Hayter winning its back-to-back years and Devin Williams last year. So, If we can get some dominant starting pitchers here to perform all year round, that's obviously going to make the team win a lot more games and certainly gives us a lot better chance at winning a playoff series. So that is my take on the Brewers having two legit Cy Young candidates. Yes, I do think they indeed do have them. So let me know your thoughts on that. Hit me up on Twitter. Again, you can find me at Tyler Kurth. The podcast is at Trilogy underscore pod. Unless major news is breaking, I will be coming back next Monday with a podcast to kind of recap some spring training action. But of course, if something crazy happens, you will find me recording. So make sure you hit subscribe to our podcast and I will talk to you later for fans.